0: to burnout brighter today we're going to be talking to josh but before i i know i forgot the whole spiel about what we're about but if you don't know what we're about by now i mean come on (laughs) but we are a podcast that likes to talk about gaming mental health social justice issues and everything and anything pop culture but today Today, we have a special guest, Josh, and he's going to be telling us all about Team Kaizen and what he does and what he's done for his community with PlayStation. And we're super, 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 super excited to jump into it. Guys, did you see how excited I was? You saw that? So excited. excited I, was? I was pretty excited. I felt it. Did you feel it?
1: I'm Matt, by the way.
0: <laughs> I was going to say it.
1: I'm <sighs> Matt. I'm your co-host Matt. Nice to meet this you. This nice is my to co-host
0: Matt. Hi, everyone. I was going to... Oh my god, can I not introduce <laughs> the guest person? Be hyped up. This is my co-host Matt. You guys know him. My wonderful, wonderful, not trying to fuck with me, co-host Matt. No, and... never. Never, never. And before we jump into it, Josh, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
2: Yeah. Uh, my name's Josh Hughes. I'm with Attitudes Entertainment Company out of Great Falls, Montana, and we're home to Montana's first two PlayStation and Xbox certified game studios, Team Kaizen and Ingenium. And our whole thing got started back in 2002. It was the year I graduated high school. My brother was going into seventh grade, and a friend pressured him to try out for football. And he kept failing the sports physical, and eventually they told us, okay, he needs to be on these meds right now in emergency surgery by Friday. What we found out was that apparently this was going on his whole childhood, but the lines that connect your kidneys to your bladder, called the ureter, were identically kinked on both sides for him. And basically it backed urine up into his kidneys, and he was nearly poisoned to death, like... They told us, had we not discovered it then, he was months oh away God. from keeling over.
1: Holy shit.
2: Yeah. And it was a nightmare for the whole la Like, this is all finding this out three months after graduating high school. So we had to go medically bankrupt. We lost everything. We moved in with our mom's parents. And it's been kind of a long road since then. Like, he's had over 70 surgeries. We tell people we stopped counting at 70. But... um. He's in dialysis three times a week now, and people always ask, oh, is he going to go for transplant? And the thing we always tell people is that transplant's not the fix that you think it is. It's more of a Band-Aid because the average transplant lasts about five to eight years. Mm. And once your transplant fails, then um, when they go to match you for a new one, they can't just match you anymore. They have to match you and every person who's ever donated to you. So it becomes progressively harder each time. And so instead, what he's holding out for is the University of California is like, I think they just hit human trials, but they're building a thing called a bionic kidney where they take your stem cells and make a baby dialysis machine that's always inside you. And that way there's no fear of rejection because it's your own cells.
0: Right.
2: Okay. And And there's no chance of failure, so you don't have to worry about going through it all again in five to eight years. So he's like, you know what, I'd rather do a few more years on dialysis, wait for them to perfect that, do that, and then be good. Mm-hmm. But um, a few years, though, into it, though, um, mom and I were sitting in the waiting room while he was in the surgery. And I told her, you know, normal's not working for us, you know, trying to live a normal life and trying to, you know, do the nine to five thing. I was working a call center at the time where, like, you know, if you called into a place and got that, this call may be monitored for quality assurance. I was <laughs> doing the monitoring and um, we decided that we were going to take our love of video games and turn it into a job. And there's this woman that found out she's now the director of tourism for our city, but back then she was with our small business center, mm-hmm. named Rebecca Ingham, and she set, reached out to us and told us that if we were serious, she would teach us how to be entrepreneurs, and that began a very long road of learning how to be entrepreneurs, learning how to build a team, learning how to refine a concept of a game, and it got to the point where like our first big victory is that we were the first company in Montana allowed to go to E3 on our own credentials, and That's so we, incredible. Yeah, we, we've been to ten E3s. That like that—that's been a ton of fun. And then we initially started building a relationship with Sony because we just met more people on that side. And then mm-hmm. now we're slowly trying to do the same with Xbox side too. But we got to do some really cool stuff. Like one of my big nerd outs, you know, not from a developer side, but from a gamer side, is I got to be in the room that E3 at the Sony press conference when they announced the Final Fantasy VII remake. Like, no Mom, way! I, yeah. Oh Mom, my god, I, that's so exciting. And the jacked-up part about that is is that, like, with our staffers, we had this long-running thing that we would always tell our staffers, you know, if you're going to go to E3 with us and you're going to go to the Sony press conference because we could get tickets, you need to not go in expecting a Final Fantasy VII remake because we had several staffers doing it for several years, and they'd walk away disappointed. And we'd tell them, you know what, you're setting yourself up for disappointment disappoint- expecting that. Then they announced it, and I had staffers on either side of me, and I launched out of the seat so fast I almost threw them to the floor. And then mom got, <laughs> then mom got video of Trevor full on breaking down, crying. And Aww. it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was like one of my most memorable E3 moments. Period. But and then that's um,
0: incredible. Final Fantasy 7 oh yeah. is my favorite out of the entire series. Like if you Same. if you've to the podcast, it's the one game I talk about the most, and she all she talks about. H. Oh yeah. It's not all. I talk about Streets of Rage.
2: <laughs> I'm like on Nut for Seven. Like I even have the you know kind of wonky fighting game that Square did, Ergites, where you like can play as Cloud in the Final Fantasy VII oh, cast. My God. Yeah. It's, I love it. It's a wild it's like the game that they did is like a collaboration with the Tekken team, but it doesn't mm-hmm. play like Tekken, but it has characters that are kind of loosely at least back in the ps1 days they loosely pretended that they might be from the tekken world although i think right namco would probably deny that now yeah but <laughs> it, yeah it was wild it was just a like fully 3d game where you could run around and beat the crap out of each other as tekken style characters and final fantasy 7 characters it's and... like
1: kingdom hearts before kingdom hearts yeah. oh yeah
2: oh yeah uh, they were they were trying that meta stuff way before then including with the kind of semi-confusing storylines and all the stuff we love and yeah <laughs> Yeah, you guys can't see I it because, like, like, behind where my webcam is, I actually have the entire Final Fantasy seven Shrine, like, Trevor and I both saved up with Remake, we both, like, set money aside and got the big cloud on the bike additions, and... Nice! Like, yeah. Oh, that's so dope. Yeah, uh, you
0: have to take pictures of it. We have to see it. Like yeah, I right. can't just hear about it. I need visuals, Josh. I'll, I need I'll, visuals.
2: I'll send you pictures afterwards. Yeah.
0: All right, dope, dope. We might post those somewhere, guys. Yeah, yeah, so that's really fine. That's dope. dope. All right. So moving right along, we're going to be asking everybody like what they've been up to. So first, I'm going to start with Matt because obviously he got jealous that I didn't introduce yeah, him. Yeah. Here. So Matt, what? me what have have you been up to recently oh my gosh
1: i'm so not used to being asked questions i just not even sure what to say uh i've been playing a bunch of war tales um we talked about it a little bit but it's it's the review will be going live tomorrow tomorrow so that by the time this goes up it'll be fine uh i mean the 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 review is up go check it out uh it's awesome it's dark it's messed up it's uh it's heavy the game is really like a lot at points and it really kind of just drops you in and says go figure things out do you want to be do you want to help refugees or do you want to slay them do you want to you know team up with the farmers or do you want to kind of let things be and it's you can you know just go out and hunt and make money that way or you can do whatever it is the game kind of really lets you play it however you want uh it's a little bit rough around the edges just because it is still in early access so there are certain things that like stand out but yeah i've been playing a bunch of that uh, along with, I keep playing Shin Megami Tensei 5. That game is awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's again, I don't know why I'm just in the space of like dark and dour lately because SMT five is not a, a lighthearted game. Um, but like, it's giving me like almost like Jujutsu Kaisen vibes at certain points. And like, it's my first SMT and as Persona being my favorite series of all time, it's, it's interesting to see the kind of distinction between them. Um, the combat's a lot of fun and it's the, the frigging dialogue and conversation systems are still fucking gobbledygook. I still don't know how the fuck to do it because basically what you can like talk, you, you need to talk to the monsters and basically choose the right like conversational points to get them to join you. And it's like, it's always a complete crapshoot knowing what you want to say to these things. And there's no real indication of what the correct answer is. So learning that has been really difficult. And I say learning with a huge asterisk because usually I just pay them off until they join me um because i don't know how the fuck else to get them um so that's been really awesome as well and uh yeah i keep just uh, just obsessed with halo infinite multiplayer it's just a lot of fun it's really really good um but that, that's basically been me on top of wedding planning and shit which i mean we we recorded next week's episode yesterday which is a bit of a you know it breaks my mind a little bit because we're going to be gone we're going to be out in mexico doing fun <laughs> yeah. wedding stuff um but yeah that, that's been me thank you i appreciate that very much um so yeah that'll be that that's me all
0: right and josh what if been up to recently
2: um i am super late to the party on this i know some people are going to get a chuckle out of it but about a month and a half ago i finally got into among us and have really nice. gotten addicted to that and it's kind of funny because i know it took off with a lot of kids and the thing with us is that you know on top of all the stuff we do we do a lot of game design camps with kids and stuff mm-hmm. and as a side effect of that i've gotten really used to how kids think when they play games because you know they would develop games in the camp we would watch mm-hmm. them play it and get their feedback. And that has kind of become an evil secret weapon in Among Us, where, like, like, if I'm, like, the imposter, one thing I've learned, especially from the camps, is that kids, if they get on, like, a certain vibe, let them go and do it. So I'll let them talk just enough for where they start blaming someone else i'll be like oh so who are we voting for and so that way they think i'm the part of the we and they never th- suspect me and i feel kind of oh, bad because it's kiddos. like <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no nah, you
1: gotta use... if you're playing among us you gotta use what you can it's, it's all that warfare
2: yeah and like i it's you know it's so bad because i'll you know if you're like multiple imposters you'll see another person that doesn't understand that and they'll immediately jump in chat and be all like, "It's absolutely not me." And I'm like, "You realize you're putting a spotlight on yourself, right?" Like, right. Let let yeah. them theory, theory craft, you know. But, so, um, where where do gonna, you like
1: uh, to play? Because I know it's it's pretty much everywhere now. Where where do you like to play? Like, do
2: you predominantly um, play
1: online, or do you play with like friends often, or your brother, or what?
2: Primarily online. Like, I'm one of those mm-hmm. weirdos. Like, I'll even play. You know, I play Apex Legends a lot, and nice. I prim- primarily play with Rando. So, like, I have people that kind of. Like one one friend of mine is this really awesome uh, lady. If you ever want me to introduce you to her for your show, she'd be awesome for your show. Her name's Kashana Gray, and she's like a um, professor. She I believe she has doctorate level, but she's at Holy University crap. of U- University of Kentucky, and she talks about issues about like race and gender identity and online spaces and all that. And um, she's even been featured on like Good Morning America and stuff about it. But like. She, you know, would sometimes crack up following me on Facebook because if I have an issue where I have like really dumb random teammates,
1: uh-huh. uh, like
2: I will like live stream it on, not like stream the video, but like live commentate it on Facebook about, okay, this is what they're doing now. Oh, here's how they're dying. Like, <laughs> like one time, like the the one that I know that she had a riot over was. Um, I got with two guys and I was relatively certain they may have imbibed in some substances beforehand because they were obviously kind of tipsy. I died trying to protect them. And there's all like three or four different squads shooting out at each other. Uh And I'm seeing it through their point of view now because I'm waiting for them to revive me. They actually went into a little shack. And they both hit the crouch button, crouch in the corner, and were screaming and crying into voice chat, like crying like they, like they, as if they were actually in real life danger. And they won. Like all the other teams killed each other. <laughs> and they, they got not find him. <laughs> yeah. Like all the other teams killed each other and they got the champions thing. And I'm like, how? And I'm like, like... <laughs>
0: this there is my go. strategy in every <laughs> FPS game I play. I try to find the most decrepit area that nobody's going to look in. And I just chill.
2: Yeah. Well, the weird part though is like that shack had weapons and stuff in it, so there was like reason to go in there. If you'd have just opened the door, they would have been right there, but they were just cowering. Yeah, they they were just lucky. Yeah, and they were like screaming in chat, like, oh, God, help us, and like crying and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, okay, I believe in you, go out there and aim the gun. (laughs) they
1: must have been on something good to to have that kind of reaction so
2: yeah and i'm in dumb shock and i'm just like watching and i'm like i can't even believe we won this (laughs) but (laughs) well i guess i guess that's
1: you know it's a good thing you protected them right because i mean it led it led to the win
2: yeah i was gonna say too though like Persona, like you know final fantasy 7 is like my favorite game of all time but persona 5 is like right underneath it yes so i was gonna say like you know i actually to my nerd cred, I platted uh, P5, P5 Royal, and Strikers, so...
1: Nicely done. I only I only platted P5R. P5, I don't know how you finished that Persona Compendium, man. I looked at that, I was like, no, no. It's
2: hard. Well, and the one that took me forever was, like, in the original vanilla P5. Like, you actually have to do an optional fight against the Twin Wardens, and it's mm-hmm. one of the most ridiculously unfair fights you'll ever do in a turn-based RPG. Like, it's just evil like
1: it's like when, broken man yeah i feel that
2: yeah like well and i saw a thing i wish i could find the article too cuz i've had to explain this to a bunch of people but someone somewhere online actually data mined the game and they uh-huh. found that there was a hidden mechanic in that fight that they never tell you about and it's never used in any other fight but they split the fight up into like chunks of 6 turns and uh-huh. every every chunk of 6 turns you have to do a certain amount of damage to the twins or they get an immediate automatic win. And they never tell you what the damage is. They never tell you if you're past that. So you just that have to always... very
0: assume... OP and annoying.
2: Oh, yeah. And what, once they taught you that in the article, you're like, oh, okay, now that I know that, make three people be the tank and one healer and just yeah. stick to that. And then it becomes easy. But otherwise, you would never know it. And you they would just get a random automatic win and you would be left scratching your head like, what the <laughs> hell happened? And yeah. Thank- yeah, platting P5R doesn't require anything crazy like that. Like, when I saw yeah. that that was not on the trophy list, I, like, screamed very loudly, like, enjoy, like, yes. Yeah. But, um, like, I was going to ask, because, you know, I've been trying to ask people online. So many people are very kind of touchy on the subject of, you know, comparing P5 to Shin Megami Tensei five. Because I was, like, trying mm-hmm. to ask people, I'm like, you know... I've tried Nocturne a couple times and it didn't really click with me the way Persona did, and I was mm-hmm. worried about spending the money on Shin on you know Megami Tensei five mm-hmm. without knowing if it would actually click with me the way Persona did. So does it click more like Persona?
1: It doesn't, honestly. Oh, like okay. I like SMT five. Like you gotta kind of work to love it a bit. I didn't immediately fall in love with it. Like the world is more dour. There's no. There's like it doesn't like. And I don't know. SMT fans get really, really picky once you start bringing up this conversation. Uh, but it yep. really just does lack the heart that Persona has. It's a much more dark, dour affair. And like I said, like one of my biggest gripes with the game is just because the way that the conversation works, it's a central, like it's a central mechanic. It's the base. It's the way that you get other, you know, demons more often than not. But like the world is beautiful. The combat's still fun. It's, it is still, you know, your Persona SMTS combat. Um so if like but the combat has to be the biggest sell here. Yeah. Um so like if you like the combat and you're looking for like a more traditional JRPG that's much more focused on combat and then the world around it is there. Um with like again and, like the story is very heady. It's very angels and gods and demons and devils. So like it's 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 very heady stuff with a lot a lot of combat. If that sounds appealing to you, I would definitely tell you to check it out because the game is quality, but like it's not It's not, it doesn't have the same immediate catch that Persona does, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like um, one of our programmers, Raven, was actually cracking a joke with me about it online saying, oh, you know, be careful asking people that because you know you'll set off the piranhas. You know, if you dare say that Persona 5 is, you know, more popular than Shin Megami Tensei. And I'm like, yeah, I'm being careful. Yeah. It's a lot of very salty
1: SMT fans. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I saw a couple explosions on Twitter where I'm like, oh, my God, she was telling the truth. And like, I was just like watching, I'm like, you know, I'm one of those people that I don't even, you know, I, like, I, for instance, I love Final Fantasy 7. But, you know, I'm the first one to, you know, crack a joke about, you know, Aerith dying or whatever that, you know, mm-hmm. like where one of my favorites was back when the PSP game came out. And Kotaku had an article where they had a picture of Aerith and they just put a giant arrow. Said, "Insert large katana here." And that, <laughs> like, it's one of those things where you feel bad laughing about it. But yeah, it's kind—it's of, kind of like an old yeller joke. It, you know, you have to laugh, but
1: yeah, cover up the like,
2: pain. Yeah, and it's like. It kind of blew my mind that, you know, that I wasn't seeing that similar reaction out of that, you know, so I was like, okay, I'll be careful. But when you brought it up, I'm like, oh, cool. Someone I can ask, but yeah,
1: yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic game. It's just like, you have to know what you're getting yourself into a little bit more.
2: So it's very similar to Nocturne then. I haven't played Nocturne. This was my first
1: SMT. I tried to get into SMT four and I couldn't. And then this is my first one that I'm like giving it a proper go. And like, it, it, it's a bit more work to enjoy it, to be honest, but like, it's cl- it's cl- it's clicking the more time I spend with it. But it does, for me, Persona was like, I'm in right away. This was this is very much like a... I'm like 12 to 14 hours in, and I'm like, I understand the appeal, and like I want to see where this is going. But I'm not like, oh my god, I have to play it right now, every second of every day like I am with Persona. If that makes oh, sense. Oh, yeah. Yep,
2: yeah. that makes sense.
1: Yeah. What about you, D? What's been going on? What's new?
0: Um, I've just been listening to you guys. That's all. There's nothing, nothing else been going on. Just that.
1: Mm-hmm. And then? Really,
0: I nothing else has really been going on. Um, packing for the trip. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, did some Christmas shopping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ate some leftovers. Is that one of your
1: new shirt sweaters? I can't. No, tell this is.
0: is actually from Super Combo Man. From Oh, it's
1: so dope. It's oh, nice. old. It's a cool yeah. shirt. I have never it's seen from, that one before. It's nice though.
0: I've I've never worn it. I left it well, here in Tennessee. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's Justin's company in Terrabang. Mm. so that was the game they came out with. Yeah. But yeah, that's really all. I'm sorry, guys. I'm pretty boring today. I haven't I haven't really done anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, been, I watched. I, I got some tacos.
1: Okay. Oh, that's good. Did you watch They're more delicious. Arcane?
0: No. I mean, I will at some point, but
1: no. I'm just
0: it just doesn't excite me, Matt. It's not exciting. That's fine.
1: That's okay. Okay. I respect your opinion. All
0: right. But I will try I've been seeing so much art of them, so like I I might Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe after the wedding.
1: Fair. Um, Okay. Cool.
0: Sorry. But okay, (laughs) moving what I do have something. I I know I just apologized, but this is so random. Um so I was I realize I say sorry a lot.
1: It's very Canadian of you.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was getting like a poke bowl and like it was bowl.
1: Out...
0: poke bowl. Yeah. Poke bowl. Yeah. Not a Pokemon ball. Like, okay. That's all I'm thinking of. I don't know what you're talking about. Poke bowl. It's like it's like sushi but in a bowl. Poke bowl. Look this
1: up. You keep talking.
0: Okay. Okay. So um, it wasn't even us that was being slow. There was like a huge order before us and then like a little order but i kept apologizing you know what it is i got it now. i kept apologizing and then the guy was like i think you just like apologizing and i was slightly embarrassed but without thinking <laughs> i was like no no that's not it sorry and then yeah nice I, I can't help it nice I nailed apologizing. it Apologizing. yeah anyways so moving on just we have some questions for you but before we do um because i think i forgot to ask at the beginning is can you drop the information on where our listeners can find more out about Team Kaizen, what you do, and all of that? I know yeah. you mentioned you had a Twitter. Yep.
2: Yeah, Twitter is uh, T K. That's Z O O K E Y T K. Zuki's always been my online handle. And um, for whatever reason, it was taken on Twitter. So I added the TK for Team Kaizen on the end. But um our main website is teamkizengames.com, and that links to like our YouTube and all that. Uh our main Twitch channel is Attitudes. That's A D D A T U D E Z. And uh we're trying to get back into more doing streaming stuff. Like a lot of times we lately we've been using like YouTube and TikTok and I'm Zuki TK on TikTok too to primarily show like latest that we're working on with like our characters and stuff and like just bits and pieces of development but we're hoping to get especially in the next year get more into a swing of doing more full link things and then um for schools and stuff we do streaming through groups like streamable learning and out school and a little bit of twitch on that front too but like for instance we just got a grant where we're doing some presentations to schools on the importance of diversity and inclusion in game industry and tech. Nice. Hell yeah. Yep. That's so a great
0: topic.
2: Oh yeah. And so we're doing that for like the next month. Like it's sponsored by a group called If Slash Then that they like they're primarily about highlighting women in tech roles. Although mm-hmm. like we're kind of expanding it to more all kinds of diversity to you know because we mm-hmm. want kids of all backgrounds to see that. Mm-hmm. But Um, It's been really cool working with them so far, and like our first talk is next. Like, well, we're doing one like this week online to a school, but then we're gonna actually go out to a rural school and do an in-person presentation. And one of the things that we love to do that's kind of fun is that we take Little Big Planet and use it as a replacement for PowerPoint and build presentations inside of a video game, and then show that to kids. So that way, it's a little more engaging than a typical PowerPoint. Uh Yeah.
0: That's a really cool idea. But guys, yeah. we'll have all those links. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. We're going to have all those <laughs> links down at the bottom so that you can find out more about Team Kaizen and Josh and his brother and like the incredible, gra- mm-hmm. the incredible games that they're making and the progress that they're making within their community, which is awesome, which kind of rolls me into my next question. Like yeah. tell us a little bit, we watched the video about you getting PlayStation in and like all the kids being excited. And like what, I guess what I want to know is what inspired you to do that to like branch out of just being a developer. And please tell us the story about how you got PlayStation to come to your town. Cause that was incredible.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So basically when we first started our company, you know, back in 2006, our primary goal was we wanted to make a fighting game. We Cause like a, uh, Trevor and I, especially me, like we loved the kind of 3D fighting games from the early 90s or well, more mid-90s, you know, like you know, PS1 era. Mm-hmm. So stuff like Battle Arena Toshinden, Bloody Roar 2, Power Stone, like stuff where you could actually your environment mattered just as much as your opponent, so you actually had to think about where you're at.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
2: we knew we wanted to do something that was over the top and kind of brought that style of fighting game back. And so we started concepting our an idea called shattered soul. And some of that took, you know, ideas that we've had for years, including stuff that Trevor was sketching in his sketchbook and just creating a story around it. And we started trying to figure out how to build a team around that. And like, as we were working on that, uh, you know, of course, Sony announces and releases little big planet. And I fell in love with it. Cause I, I'm obsessed with rides and roller coasters. And so I would actually go learn how about how rides and roller coasters work. So I could go build them in little big planet
1: and that's then, so cool.
2: Oh yeah, and like um my like all right, you said you guys are based out of Tennessee, right?
0: No, Matt's in Canada, but me and Jackie oh. are in Tennessee right now.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. So, um like one of my crowning achievements and I'll send you guys the video of it, but in California there's a coaster that's one of the technically the most complex roller coasters on earth called X2 where like there's four separate tracks to the actual track that you go along two of the rails support the car that's your seat the other two move a metal bar up and down to rotate your seat so they can actually make you look up or down and all that while you're flying through the air at 60 miles an hour
0: oh my god this sounds holy crap Oof,
2: okay. yeah and they and that's before you add in the fact that they have onboard audio and fire effects and all that like they use hollywood flame where is to, this uh magic mountain six flags magic mountain in California. Oh,
0: okay.
2: Oh, and shit. so I, oh, I actually, go. like my crowning achievement was I recreated it with onboard audio and all in Little Big Planet, including fire effects and all of it. And I had people like hyperventilating in the comments, going, "Oh my god, you recreated X2!" So that's incredible, that's dope. dude. Yeah, I'll s- I'll send you guys the video, please. please. Yes, yeah.
0: please. But, guys, we'll link it to you too because mm, we know you are yeah. visuals.
2: So yeah. Yeah. But um, so in the process of that, you know, Sony teamed up with this group called Haystack out of Duke University, and it's short for Humanities, Arts, Science, Technology, Advanced Collaboratory. And they were like, hey, you know, we want to reach out to the little big planet community. Can you build a level that teaches people about STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math? And I had a bunch of rides that I hadn't released to the community yet, so I was like, well, but the heck i'll just put them in a straight line with r- little ride attendants that explain things like positive and negative g-forces centripetal force all of that mm-hmm. and didn't think much of it and then i get an email a few weeks later saying you're one of our top winners we need you in new york city in two weeks to a- accept a pr- accept a grant to create a- to take your one level idea and turn it into a 15 level experience for kids to play online and it's still online so that totally blew our minds and like, when we went out there, we didn't just, like, accept an award. Like, they took all the winners, and we had to go through kind of a educational thing where it was at the Games for Change Summit. And they mm. had us take classes on how games could intersect with education. And we were really intrigued by that. But at the same time, we were, you know, we still kind of bought into this thing that's really prevalent in the industry. And unfortunately in a lot of ways still is where a lot of people assume you're either a normal game studio and you make games for gamers with no educational content whatsoever, or you're an educational game studio and your target, you know, is classrooms and Mm -hmm. your games don't need to be fun. You know that. Yeah. And those, those two industries have like evolved completely separately from each other and they don't really listen to each other all that much to learn from each other. And so at first, we were kind of scared about that, going, you know what, we really like a lot of what we're seeing here, and we think we want to be involved in this, but we don't want to give up Shattered Soul. You know, we don't want to give up our dream fighting game. And then after mm-hmm. all while, sitting around thinking about it, we're like, you know, that's kind of a false dichotomy, though, right? Like, you know, yeah, that, that's not written in stone. Why do you have to follow that? Why can't we be both a normal studio and an educational studio? And that's where we kind of coined the term teaching studio, where we tell people that Um, Even when we're doing non educational games like Shared Soul, we're still teaching people because we're showing them what we're learning through developing it and learning the business side of it, the pitching, Mm -hmm. all of that. And then we're like, okay, well, you know, that if we're going to be a teaching studio, we want to have a game in development too that kind of incorporates STEM a little more directly. And we were thinking about a bunch of different ideas. And then one year, you know, we're watching our city's 4th, uh, 4th of July fireworks display. And it kind of hit us of, hey, we could do a music game where you blow up fireworks to the beat of music and somehow incorporate the periodic table because the periodic table is how you actually make different colors of fireworks. It's like different kinds of metals and minerals that make those colors. And that led to the creation of our game that's in Matt, early Alpha now. Close Nicole your burst. mouth. No, I just keep
1: yeah. getting my mind blown over and yeah, over again. Just it's, like, just so like, lic- it's so, yeah, i am
0: learning. it. are so distracting right now. Okay, <laughs> keep yeah.
2: going. It's all good. But um, and so that started a long process you where dumbass. we-
0: dumbass. Sorry, <laughs> it's all good. No, you don't.
2: It's all good. <laughs> okay. but, uh, like um, so you know, it started this long process where like we made a a prototype out of Flash, and it was kind of in like the dying days of Flash, so it was really adventurous. Like our poor programmer that was helping us, like Flash would crash, and he would lose between ten and twenty hours worth of work at a time. No. Oh, God. But we got the prototype far enough along where we could show it to people. And originally, it was way overly complicated. Like, we not only had them, you know, blowing up fireworks, managing the periodic table elements, but we also had, like, this asset management sim thing going on with it where, like, you had to worry about how many shells you had left for the entire performance to make sure you spread them out. Oh, God. And Uh. in gameplay, it stressed people out. And so we let people be brutal about it and tell us what worked, what didn't. And we just would write it down and we would go back and the, one of the first things was we were like, screw this. We are moving to unity 3d because flash gave us too many tears. Right. So we, we moved it to unity and we would build a build, let people play it and then take their feedback back and fix it until we got to the point where people like stopped complaining about the gameplay and actually loved it. And the only feedback they were giving us was make it prettier Mm-hmm. And that actually kind of led to a thing that we teach kids about that we call play to pretty. Whereas like, if you're building a game, get it playable in ugly mode first, and then just test mm-hmm. it over and over and over again with people and iterate it based on their feedback. And then once they're no longer talking about the gameplay, then you can worry about making it pretty because right. at that point, the art won't be trying to duct tape over bad gameplay, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's actually really smart. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause I mean, I've run into other indie studios that have wasted a lot of time. Like one dude I saw once, I can't remember how much money he paid, but he paid a person to make like this star destroyer ship, like massive in scale. And it had millions and millions of polygonal sides on it because the artist didn't really know what he was doing. So it was way over detailed. Mm -hmm. And they spent a lot of time and money trying to get it to work, but without realizing you can't actually import it into a game engine because it was so over the top with how detailed it was. Too high poly. Yeah, like to an extreme. And so they couldn't even get it to work in a game engine. And so, like, stuff like that, well, we always tell people, you know, start simple and work your way up to that because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll end up crying a lot of tears over stuff that's wasted and stuff that could, you know, potentially be like looking like it was final game content, but it can't be used because it was the foundation underneath was broken all along. So, but, um, so now we're to the point where we're, like trying to get, you know, burst out the door, and we've got both of them playable in early prototype. Although in Shared Souls' case, where we're currently ripping apart the prototype to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. But um, because like first with Shared Souls' case, like we had people, like a guy did two models for us of our characters and just did super low poly, almost like PS One style, just mm-hmm. so we could test and get find out the idea if our idea was even fun. Because like the way we put it to people for shared soul is that if you can see it you can fight on it so like when you're in that fighting arena any object in the arena you can jump on and fight on so like we have a ferris wheel nice and people love to jump on the different cars and shoot fireballs at each other to try to knock each other off yes and so like we wanted to see if that was fun and it turns out it is so (laughs) so now we're working on getting it to look pretty because unfortunately especially with fighting games when you go pitch them around the thing you always hear people say is, can you get a little more polish on that demo so we can get a better idea? And so now we're seeking out to do that too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's always an interesting balance because you don't want to put too much polish on the front end. Like I said, you'll, it you know, lest you find out your game sucks and you wasted a lot of polish time that could have been refining time. But on the mm-hmm. other end, when you get to the point where you think you have something you can actually attract funding with, you have to start adding in that polish because the people typically doing the funding want to be able to imagine a final game that might be making that money back, and it's a mm. lot easier for them to imagine imagine it if your demo has polished. So it's that weird kind it's of a fun catch delicate 22.
0: balance.
1: Yeah, yeah. So something I actually wanted to ask because, like, I think you said you mentioned what it was two thousand six when you looked at the situation and you were like, "We need to do something a little bit differently," given how you know the state everything that was going on with your brother and yourself and your family um to kind of start getting into game development and i think that's really forward thinking because i mean the indie space at the time was nowhere close to what it is today right i mean back in 2006 it, the indian landscape was a much much different thing so i kind of wanted to ask like what led you to that to that point of being like you know what i think this is a viable solution for myself and my family because it's not just you you were very clearly thinking about everyone around you as well taking your love of video games and fusing it together. Were you nervous about that decision? How did you feel in those moments? And like, what kind of brought you to that point?
2: Oh, yeah, good question. Um, Well, first of all, like when I was in high school, like I met a guy online who ran an indie studio out of Canada that was called Two Guys Software, later reading The Crucifix, and I don't think they're around at all anymore. Like, like I was actually just talking to someone else online that neither of us have heard from the student in a long time. So I think he's kind of just gone quiet, you know, mm-hmm. but... Um, he taught me the basics of game design because he and I would nerd out over games online together and he let me be an assistant writer. And um, like he had an idea, he was really heavy into Gothic themes. So he mm-hmm. wanted to create basically kind of a Doom or Quake clone called Eternal War, where it was about an angel that got trapped inside a suicidal person's head and had to talk to them from the inside to get them to a good place, you know, b- battling their okay. inner demons, literally, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he let me kind of help out on that, kind of learn writing on that, learn team management. And so I was doing that all throughout high school, And but he was still very much PC side, and I was still very much, you know, console gamer side. I'm still very much, you know, like what I would call a controller jockey. You know, that just... And <laughs> I've been learning keyboard a little bit more, because especially since I play Among Us on everything I can get it on now, but um, I'm still a lot more comfortable with a controller. Mm-hmm. but. um So I already kind of knew some bits and pieces, but I didn't know the business side yet that, you know, thankfully Rebecca was able to teach us. And I didn't know much about networking or team building yet that I had to learn. But the thing is, you know, a lot of people from the outside, they're always like, Oh man, it must've been scary to start that. But I think that for us, it wasn't as much because like when you go through medical bankruptcy and all that, you already lose everything. Like the worst already happened. So it kind of removes some of the fear from there. Cause it's like, well, there is no other direction, but up, even if we quote unquote fail at this, it's still better than where we were. So like, uh, I guess there, that's kind of the blessing hidden in the curse there that it gave us the, you know, the one, you know, medical bankruptcy sucks in a lot of ways and our, I'm a firm believer that our country needs to move towards like universal healthcare to protect people from that. But mm-hmm. on the same end, I will say that for our specific circumstance and our specific life story, it did give us an environment where we could be less afraid to try something extreme because the extreme things were already happening, you know? So, um, but yeah, like uh, when we talk to kids, one of the things I tell them is that when we were started, the term indie wasn't even around yet. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to see the rise of it. And especially as we're getting to the point where we're pitching around, because it's still kind of an interesting space, because you have some people that really understand indie and understand that, you know, there's all these different ideas out there that you can work with and that, you know, your business plan should be primarily based around, you know, just succeeding and breaking even, not so much being the next Among Us or the next fortnight you know. Right. But you still have situations where it gets a little weird because like, for instance, I'm not a big fan of like microtransactions or, you know, using blockchain or NFTs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And there's some funders in the industry that go after indie, but when you go to pitch to them, they expect you to pick whatever is the most current popular buzz term. Right. And like we, we, we've been at pitching things where we were pitching burst and like people started asking us questions about stuff like blockchain and th- like that, you know, I had the poker face on, but my heart just dropped because I knew I'm like, this is a competition. We're not going to win because when we're telling them, Oh, we're no, we're going a traditional route. We're going to charge a, f- a fee up front for people to download the game. And then down the road, we may have like DLC song packs or whatever, but sure, yeah. for the most part though, when people pay $15 for the game, we want them to feel like they actually got $15 worth of content. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like not, not a sales pitch on, oh, Hey, you need to spend tons of tiny little increments here to complete your experience. And
0: Darren would absolutely love you.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and
1: he's our, he's our third. He's just, he's on a bit of a hiatus from the show because of uh, life circumstances, but yeah.
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that most people that are gamers get it, you know, like they, cause mm. you know, I mean, all of us have felt that frustration where we felt like it was less that I paid for a good experience, more that I paid to be preyed on. And right. mm. so we're wanting to avoid that like the plague, but it can be really interesting cause you have to kind of walk a tightrope. And I even have friends in the industry on Facebook. Thankfully the vast majority of my industry friends are also like anti NFT, anti blockchain, anti, Good. you know, anti-selling <laughs> customer data, that kind of stuff. But you have a few that really try to hype it up and you're like, oh man. And cause you're like, you know, otherwise I really like and respect this person, but I'm looking at that. I'm like, dude, just look into it a little bit further and realize what you're doing to your customer on that. Or cause especially like, you know, I'll every once in a while I'll watch, uh, have you guys ever heard of the Jimquisition? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jim Sterling did an episode, and I, God, I want to say this is like two or three years ago now, where he interviewed people that were affected by things like microtransactions and especially loot boxes, because he was more aiming at loot boxes. Mm-hmm. But um like there's people out there that are problem gamblers that they go to start playing video games because that way they can get that video game itch without their disability being preyed on. And that it's Mm -hmm. been totally heartbreaking to them to see this kind of stuff creep into gaming because they know it's tailored, targeted to exploit them. And so it's basically attacking them in their safe space. And so when I was watching that video, I'm like, well, I absolutely don't want to be that. And Mm -hmm. so it frustrates me that, you know, more and more people are sounding that alarm trying to explain that and that people are like, oh, no, we can still do this. And I'm like, but who are you harming by doing that? You know, be aware, you know, people love this
0: point. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, because, you know, everyone's like, want to be like, oh, it's just a business plan. It's just a monetization style. But it's like your business plan exists in the real world, though, which means it has real world implications for someone, you know, and that's
1: you have. A, you have a lot of people from outside of the industry who see the money that gaming makes. Right. I mean, it's like yeah. what the it drives the most sales out of any entertainment medium, period. By so far. you have people who are like, this is a digital experience. NFTs and blockchain are inherently digital. Why not combine the two? And yeah. again, you start running situations like I'll have I'll have family members who know nothing about gaming and they're like, Hey, like, why don't you get a why don't you do an NFT gaming company? I'm like, I'm fucking over my dead fucking body. But yeah. like it, you know what I mean? It's like you have people looking from the outside being like, These things make sense. And anybody who's playing these games or, or actually part of this community, they're like, No, please don't. I don't want that.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. And we had a similar experience where um We talked to a local business developer and this, you know, keep in mind, this is just one guy, but Uh you know, most business people we talk to, we haven't had this bad of an experience, but this guy owned a building and we were kind of talking with him and explained to him what we're doing and how we're seeking funding and all that. And at first he seemed really interested and we thought that he was maybe looking at potentially investing in us or, you know, being a part somehow. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of days later, I get an email in my inbox, and he said, You know, he's like, I don't mean to be offensive here, but would you be willing to give up your dreams and what you're doing to instead write a business plan for me where you go out, raise money, buy computers, and create a blockchain farm for me, farm the blockchain, and I'll let you have some of the profit? And he said that was uh... a great. Place. And like, I that's I...
0: such a weird thing for someone to do, right? To like ask somebody they don't even know can you get we know you he knows you spent time putting all of that together preparing it and being like i like his ideas so much and he can do it so much better than me i'm gonna ask him to give up everything he came in to present me with so yep. i can still make more money than him and give him a part
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: and,
2: the, the, and on top it's, of that's the-
0: business though right like yep. not just for gaming but that's that's business. Well, the problem
1: is somebody else is going to come around and take that deal, you know. Yeah. yeah th-
2: thankfully, no one has yet, but okay. Because also a part of it, the part I left out there too, like not only would it be like his computers that I'm raising money for to buy him, but he wanted me to pay him rent too. Like, and that was actually ha. in the email. And I actually went and sat ha. down with mom, I I went and sat down with mom and Trevor showed them the email and said, "Okay, I need to take about thirty minutes before I respond because if I respond right now, there's going to be a lot of profanity." So. <laughs> Yeah. I, need to, I need to keep the business professional poker face rightfully
0: really so i wouldn't even, that was nice of you to respond yeah because oh, yeah. i would not have responded i was like he's got to be joking
2: yeah and it just blew my mind and it was it during...
0: totally reminds me of like this is gonna sound so mean because i don't really know what they're called but those scams where they email you and they're like oh like you're a long distance fishing cousin or something yeah that's what it reminds me of like he's yeah. interviewing people to do this to and that's messed up. That's a whole nother like kind of fucked up that I think is going on, but I, I Oh yeah. Oh, that sucks. That, yeah. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. And oh, so it's one of those things that, um, I've kind of learned that when I start hearing the buzz terms, especially if the person is kind of projecting that they don't even really know what those buzz terms mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to be involved with that. Like, and right. it happens a lot in tech, like, when when we explain stuff to kids, because, you know, especially it overlaps a lot with, you know, power and privilege and dynamics, that kind of stuff, you know, where we explain to kids that, you know, we understand it to a degree because, you know, we're marginalized by being a medically marginalized family. But we tell them, you know, when you hear our story, keep in mind that we still had white privilege and male privilege on our side. So you're hearing like a middle of the road bad, not as Mm -hmm. bad as it can possibly get. But um, one of the things we tell kids is that, when you get into these exciting fields like tech or entertainment, you'll run into people that will try to pull scams off the latest buzzwords. And we use examples from Silicon Valley to show them like, have you guys ever heard of the Juicero? No, no, no. Okay. So this is hilarious. And I will have to Wikipedia to make sure what exactly they raised. But basically these two tech bros went around Silicon Valley and they raised something. I want to say it was an around $120 million, to create a kitchen appliance that they called the Juicero, which was a giant box that they would just mail you a bag of juice. You put the bag of juice in the box, and it squeezes it for you to get the juice out. And they wanted to charge customers $700 per appliance. And they convinced enough people to raise $120 million.
0: I'm very confused. Um, Where did the bags of juice come from? They sent you the bag (laughs) of juice... Yeah. <laughs> With the appliance. And then instead of just opening the bag of juice, you yeah. would use you put this overpriced in the- $700 machine to. Were the bags made of diamond or steel? I'm just very confused on well, why you would invest um- in. So-
2: On that note, though, like you basically had to pay like a subscription thing where they would mail you boxes of the bags every month or whatever. And people actually picked up on that, which, of course, you know, it's common sense. But there was YouTube videos of people just giggling, just squeezing the bags by hand. Like, I have $700 hands and like squeezing it and stuff. (laughs) And they released a press statement trying to claim that it was more nutritious, nutritious to have the machine squeeze it for you, that you were losing nutrition by not by squeezing it by hand. What? What? yeah that's so they dumb you're already the,
0: losing nutrition by juicing the vegetables and the the fruit just yeah go eat a fucking apple
2: yeah like it was wild and it like went belly up within i want to say three years but they not before raising hundreds of but millions that, of dollars that's
0: oh my god this reminds me I did you like of, i just yes go ahead D.
2: No, go ahead. i D. was D. just
0: gonna say i just watched this thing about this woman who was elizabeth like holmes I'll say it one more time
2: elizabeth holmes
0: Yes. Yep. Matt, have you heard about her
1: the name sounds familiar but i'm going to need more more oh, to the story oh my
0: here. god okay so she went around and she created i can't even remember what she created
2: um she it it created some... a company called theranos and she claimed that she had this box about the size of a large printer that you could take one drop of your blood put it on there and it would run like 30 separate medical tests that normally require a machine the size of right because
0: at first it was for diabetics or something like that -hmm. And so like (laughs) she got all these medical companies. She even had the FDA. Yeah. Was it the FDA? It was the FDA even approved it. It, No real research. Yeah, no. No real research on this. No like medical from medical doctors, nothing. And she was able to convince the FDA and other medical facilities
2: and Walgreens. Who went
0: to school. Yeah, and Walgreens. To have these things installed and yo, she was on like Times Magazine. She was
2: meeting with presidents and it
0: was all bullshit. Yep. It was all bullshit.
1: That reminds me of like my favorite. It's funny you bring up Silicon Valley, Josh. It's like I'm thinking about the show, but like hot dog and not hot dog. They like there's like a bit in the show where this one guy is making an app and he like basically spins it as like a it's use your camera to detect what the food is and then the, like once it detects the food it would show you all like the ingredients to it and all the things and he yeah. basically and he's like prototyping it, and he's showing it, and he goes to a hot dog and the thing goes the app goes this is a hot dog and then he goes to a watermelon or so, whatever the fuck it was and it goes not hot dog <laughs> and everybody's and it's like they raised a shit ton of money for this because they were pitching it as like a food detection <laughs> thing and all
2: it is, <laughs> is hot <laughs> dog
1: not, not hot dog, hot dog. <laughs> and i fucking <laughs> died
2: the sad part is that's not exaggerated. That. That's how it goes down. And like in Elizabeth Holmes case, she's actually in trial right now. Like she, cause yep. she got arrested over it. And <laughs> like, when you like, there's like videos on there that cover her pathology. Cause she is so interesting on a psychological level. Like she was obsessed with Steve jobs because you know, when you look into Apple, Steve jobs had some issues where he was a jerk to employees. He was abusive and mm-hmm. she, Loved that she loved that he had the power to do that and not get in trouble. So she started dressing like him, like the black turtleneck and everything. Yeah, went went to his same I think business coach or whatever and demanded to see the business coach the same days that Steve Jobs did. And she even started well, like when she would talk to people, she would actually intentionally lower her voice because she thought speaking in a lower tone intimidated people more and made them do what she wanted. And like. Uh And the crazy part I mean, is,
0: evidently she wasn't wrong about a lot of those things because she got as far as she got. Oh yeah I mean
2: She she way out did Juice Row. She was in the God, I want to say she actually hit the billions. Like she was I think
0: she did hit the billion like billions of dollars, Matt. She had her own facilities.
2: Yeah. For nothing. At-
0: all built on bullshit.
2: And, like, the funny part is that people would send her the strips to test, and she claimed she was testing them in those machines. She'd actually mm-hmm. send them off to traditional labs and then lie and just claim that they were ran normally. Mm-hmm. And, like...
0: Yeah, because then they tested her machine, and it was, like... St- not hot, dog. It,
2: yeah, it not not hot, hot dog. dog.
0: it was not hot dog. It was not
2: hot dog. Well, and, like, the thing is, like, I saw... You know, I don't have a medical degree, but, like, people that were doing YouTube videos about trying to explain it, like like different kinds of tests that she claimed that that one thing could do. Like if you had those two machines in real life, you wouldn't put them near each other in the same room because they could like with the magnetic imaging and stuff, they could harm each other and produce crap results. So you would normally have them in separate rooms with like shielding and stuff. And that's why they take up a room, you know, to make sure it's safe. And she was saying that you could do it all in the size of a printer. Yep. And there was no truth to it. Like it was all smoke and mirrors. And there's a lot of employees that come out that said that they tried to explain it to her. Oh yeah. And she would threaten them. She would, she knew it was a lie. So she would threaten with ruining their lives to keep it quiet. Jesus Christ, man, the shit people get away with
0: like, Mm -hmm. this is going to sound terrible, but I wish I was that inventive and clever to sell absolutely nothing For a billion dollars and listen i wouldn't have been stupid like her i would have walked away at a cool 200 million yeah 200 million
1: i would have a million yeah i would have been like yeah and they would have been like what happened
0: to the famous inventor she just disappeared and by the time they'd be like oh it was all bullshit she got away with two million living on a
1: beach in thailand i know
2: (laughs) you'd have have accepted what bobby Kotick makes in one year (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly yeah i'll just up this yeah. bonus guys yeah. we're already it's already depressing
0: enough i don't even want to talk yeah, about absolute
1: that fucking, okay well yeah. let's let's I, I have i have another question to bring this back to the road to greatness yeah. to bring this back to you and your story and playstation um how was uh, something that i'm curious about is like how was gaming like gaming kind of there for you and your brother through some of the worst moments because i'm sure you what your brother has gone through and you and your family have gone through has been a lot by any stretch of the fucking imagination. So I wanted to ask like, how was gaming there for you in those tougher moments? And then how did it feel like, you know, being part of PlayStation's runs of
2: greatness? Cause that's cool as fuck. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, when I was in middle school, you know, like my parents worked at group home, you know, like for troubled youth, you know, from when I was a little kid, like they started when I was two years old and mom quit in 2003 when, you know, Trevor's stuff came down. But, mm-hmm. um, so, growing up in the group home one time a kid that was going through the group home gave me his old NES and that was my game system up until middle school. And I mean, it was a broken down NES. Like we did the blowing on cartridges thing more than I would like to admit. And now that I know as an adult, that that's not a good thing to do. I'm like, Oh, we probably, it always that- worked. It yeah. That's work. all I'm going to say yeah. It,
0: yeah. it always eventually works. So I don't want to hear nothing. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: But so, uh, my uh, NES finally died and a kid was staying the night and he and I actually, to a degree, like we didn't fully take it apart, but we had basically attempted triage and surgery. Like we were going through a, all our imagined checklist of everything that was wrong. And we finally decided it was time to have a funeral, you know, but. Time to blow on it. Yeah, it didn't <laughs> take that time. It didn't but, take um, any didn't like, work. But then I saw a commercial that night for the Sony PlayStation, which was launching in like a month. So I went and told mom about it and I had to convince her that a PlayStation wasn't one of those play school sets with like the little plastic slides. <laughs> Cause that's what she thought it was. But, um, Wait, did
0: you guys just skip the whole Sega era? And moved yeah, right uh, on to
2: PlayStation. Okay. Sega era. I went to friends' houses and played on their Segas. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was
0: like, because all he said was NES and then PlayStation. I was like, that's a huge jump. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, I only got to play Super Nintendo and Sega at friends' houses. So, like, oh, okay. so of course got for it. me that was like a monumental jump. Right. And mm-hmm. um, then you know, the whole time growing up, my mom has always been very big on media with us, like, you know, it started off as kids where she would teach us how to catch flubs in movies, and then it kind of led to, okay, you know, understanding the difference between fantasy and reality, and, like, I decided that I wanted Final Fantasy VII because I had stayed the night at a friend's house, and he had uh, Tobal Number 1, which was an old square fighting game that came with a demo disc of Final Fantasy VII, and we played through (gasps) the demo. I remember
0: when they used to do the demo disc! We got it, too. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep, and it's like a Demo that technically like has a jacked up story because they have Aerith with the party way before she joins, mm-hmm. but um, so I played the demo and I was like, okay, I need this because the thing that dropped my jaw is that they had the ability to summon and the first time I saw the Leviathan summon, doing a whole mm-hmm. tsunami to wipe out your enemies, I was like, I need this. And so, <sighs> um, mom, you know, gets me Final Fantasy 7 for my birthday that year, and actually, she gave it to me a little bit ahead of time, and I was getting you know, through it and we actually beat it on my birthday that night that year and that was wild. But mm-hmm. I had to have kids come over from middle you know, from school to teach me how to level up and how to play an RPG because I never knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I get to the point where, you know, the famous scene where Aerith dies and I was a sixth grader there just bawling my eyes out. And then I remember, you know, mom's whole story about understanding the difference between fantasy and reality. And I was like, wow, this fantasy had elicited a real emotion. That's it. I want to create video games. And I kind of put that to a side for a while in high school. Cause I got really big into school paper. Like I'd write, you know, game reviews for the school paper and I was opinion editor and all that. And I thought I was going to go into journalism. Mm-hmm. But then when the, everything went, came crashing down with Trevor, that kind of put me back on that track of, you know what, since everything went to crap, you know, let's shoot for the stars. I want to be a game designer again. And so that I hold Final Fantasy VII in very high regard because like, I know I've beaten the original over 30 times. I stopped counting at 30, but every it used to be that every few years I would play it through again. But now that remakes out, I just tend to go goof off and remake,
1: mm-hmm. especially
2: like I'm slowly working through the PS5 version to see what they did with the different haptics and stuff just to... Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't do a lot, a lot, and they straight up said they didn't, but I wanted to get an idea of where, you know, they're going to go with it. Mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, falling in love with that fact that you can elicit real human emotion and you can comment on real life things, like, you know, how Final Fantasy VII covers, you know, corporate responsibility, because ultimately, you could say everything in that game ultimately came down to malfeasance on Shinra's part, you know, like that. Yeah. They they mm-hmm. were so worried about profits that they didn't worry about impact, and that not only created environmental destruction, it created sociopaths like Sephiroth who ended up going off and being a way you know a massive problem too. So it kind of had that mm-hmm. resonance to me that again you know it just blows my mind that so many people want to run companies now these days, but don't want to think about okay how's my company impacting the world? How how right. am I doing right or wrong? You know?
0: Right.
2: And um. So I got really addicted to that. And Trevor loved watching me play Final Fantasy VII, although he kind of leans more towards Kingdom Hearts side because by the time he was getting you know, into his kidney problems and he was spending time in the hospital, I'd bring up a TV and the PS2, and he'd sit there and play Kingdom Hearts. So Kingdom Hearts kind of became his entryway into Final Fantasy. Like He's actually beaten Sephiroth on 1 and 2, and I watched him do it, and I was like, oh, hell no 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 thank you yeah no like that's a ridiculous op like there but um we both just fell in love with this whole idea of storytelling and how it can you know be so impactful and emotive through games and like that's definitely why final fantasy 7 is one of my favorite stories and then with persona 5 like i absolutely love the vibe that persona 5 has that that no matter how bad things get you can have a positive impact on the world like that that's such a driving theme to the whole story of it because coming from our family's background like you're like you know i don't want to compare myself to other people that experience marginalization because you know you only know your shoes you only know your lane but Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's hard to explain to people about medical marginalization and what it's like to be medically bankrupt and lose everything because the most people ever think about is maybe buying a raffle ticket if you're throwing a raffle but they don't ever think about how everything's connected. Like, for instance, trying to be a company and a startup, banks and traditional venture capitalists won't look at us because they'll be like, oh, you have sure. bad credit or you don't have a lot of assets. And we even got to the point where we're telling them up front we're a medically marginalized family. And they're like, oh, no, we won't judge you by that. That's illegal to judge people by that. And then they turn around and start judging us for things that are directly connected to it. And right. I, st- I still haven't figured out for people like that if they're being intentionally deceptive or if they – you know, just don't think it out. Just don't understand how stuff is interconnected and mm-hmm. like that. But um, either probably way.
0: probably a little of both.
2: Yeah. And it's frustrating because, you know, then I, you know, as, of course, as I'm making more, you know, I started making more friends online, especially making friends from other marginalized groups. Because, like, for instance, I'm I'm technically in the LGBT community because I'm what's called asexual, which for mm-hmm. whatever reason, the way my brain's wired, I'm not attracted to guys or girls. I don't know why. It's just the way mm-hmm. it is. But, you know, making more friends that are, you know, for instance, gay or people from the black community and hearing what their experiences are and hearing that it's a lot of the same crap where people think that they're not being discriminatory and they straight up are. And it's like, you just look at that with that kind of tilted head. Like, are you aware of what you're doing (laughs) or like, right. But, you know, it's and that's the thing to me is that like I was just kind of raving about it on Facebook a minute ago because people on my Facebook friends list have just come to know that I'm kind of the dude that will go on a rant. If I see something that makes me smack my forehead online. And mm-hmm. earlier today, like they had an article on some website that one of the guitarists from queen got really upset that they're being very inclusive of LGBT at the British music awards. Like instead of having best male or best female artists, they're just having best artists. Cause they said, you know, there's a lot of nine binary performers now and we don't want them to be accidentally not able to compete because they don't fit either of those Right. Awesome. And he's like, and he, he released a statement whining saying that if I had formed queen today, people would probably force me to have a gay person and a person of color in my lineup. And it's like, dude, one, no one's forcing you to do anything Two, people
0: aren't forcing people to do that today.
2: Yeah, no. Right. And so, like, yeah. I went, I just got ticked, you know, flipped over to Facebook, started doing my rant and going, you know, no one's forcing you to do a damn thing. And the thing to me, you know, just especially as a guy in the middle of Montana where with our studio we know we have you know women on our studio we have people of color and all that and gay people and all that and like it basically happened accidentally because we didn't have an intentional affirmative action policy in place or anything we just mm-hmm. cared about people and it's like dude if you're telling me that you're being forced to have people that are different than you around you, you're tattling on yourself whether you realize it or not. Because yeah, if you're a decent person, that should be happening accidentally. You know?
1: Yeah. yeah. And, well and unfortunately,
2: said. you see it a lot in the industry. And um, there is, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's good people in the industry too. Like one of my favorite people is like, you know, for instance, Sean Layden who used to be the president mm-hmm. of PlayStation America. He's very vocal about supporting people. I mean, when he was president of PlayStation, you would see him, you know, on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook straight up out there in the pride marches with a PlayStation pride shirt, you know, like he was Mm -hmm. very loud about everyone deserves a chance here and he's been awesome. in that he'll sometimes take time aside and send me a private message on Twitter to give us some feedback on what we're doing and tell us how to be better and all that stuff. That's amazing.
0: That's really, really dope. So actually I wanted to roll into the last question before we get to news. Yeah. How did you, cultivate that relationship with playstation to like have them come in
2: yeah because i remember
0: watching that video and that was just
2: incredible so we didn't realize how good we did in that contest yet but they had a contest for it where um we thought that we were at a losing position because generally when you see voting contests and stuff like that it's places like new york la and dallas that win generally Mm -hmm. those three because they have the population to pull it but um they put up this thing saying, "Hey, why does why do you deserve to be a stop?" And we kind of had a relationship with Sony at that point, but like not with any of the people that were actually involved with the contest or making the decision. Like we hadn't met those people yet,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so I was like, "You know what? Screw it. I'm going to throw up a video and explain who we are, what we're trying to do." And um, I started getting my. Uh, kind of community in this area voting and, you know, our town's called great falls because like the whole reason behind that is there's like five waterfalls that go throughout our city that are like hydroelectric beautiful. And, oh yeah. It's really cool. And it's like kind of nuts. Cause like, you know, when you learn about the U S and how they sent like Lewis and Clark and their whole expedition to go check out this area way back in the day, our area is like written very poorly in their books. Cause they were kind of upset coming through here. Cause to go up those waterfalls, they had to take like several hundred pound canoes up vertical rock faces, like 200 feet. Uh, yeah. So it was like wild. And like, now they have like a museum here where you can go pull on a piece of rope and it will tell you how far you would have gotten in a day. And it's usually like, Oh, you would have made it a foot. I'm like, that's dang. really uplifting.
0: I'd probably, they huh? told me to stay on the ground. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: like, nah, I'm good with this rope. Thanks.
2: But since, you know, our region's called Great Falls, and at that time, you know, PlayStation's motto was Greatness Awaits, so I started a hashtag Bring Greatness to the Falls, and it got people all going Genius. nuts on it. And so, That's first so of all, yeah, <laughs> so it got people rooting, and, like, because, you know, we've heard from people for so often around here that they're like, you know, I never thought that video games could happen here. You know, I always thought I would only be a consumer of them, nothing more, and so that is a big thing that we play off of. And not only in Great Falls, but we also go to nearby communities like for instance, Browning, which is on the Native American Reservation for the Blackfeet people, and we reach out to kids with that and tell them that, you know, this is just as much for you as it is for anyone else. And a lot of I times when you're that. dealing with people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you're dealing with rural areas, people don't really hear that often. And, I mean, technically speaking, Great Falls is technically rural too. Like, we're a city of about 60,000 people, which I know to most people is like way- like a suburb, not a city, you know? But Yeah. Um, so we got people voting on that, and it turned out that people got so hyped on it that we actually... We're the top vote getting entry by like a wide margin. Like I think they said we were double second place. But nice. um wow. But the when they started interviewing us, because you know, when you win something like that, they don't they try to make it look like a surprise that reality TV style, but really you've know you've won way ahead of time. Cause they mm-hmm. call they do they do their legwork where they call you ahead of time say hey you're a potential winner. Here's paperwork to fill out here, you know, legal releases, tell us anything that might be embarrassing all that kind of stuff. And mm. so I and, would not
0: know that I've never won a contest of that caliber. It was like, yeah, oh, that's a lot.
2: They, they want to avoid stuff like that. Cause like, um, like let's say worst case scenario, you let someone win, do this big media thing around them and then find out like, they're a crazy white supremacist or something that that would come mm. out to really embarrass you. So they, they do yeah. a lot of background stuff to make sure you're not going to make them look bad, that's you smart. know? Right. Yeah. But um, during the background checks, they told us that, you know, due to the our life story in general, they're like even if you hadn't won the voting, you were our first pick, and so it's like, oh, so we won on both fronts. So cause, nice because like That's the vote, like the voting determined I think one or two of the spots, and then the other ones, the voting helped, but ultimately the judges wanted to pick people that were inspiring, mm-hmm. and and so they told us they were doing this, and we teamed up with a local art museum that we sometimes do game design camps at. And they bring the truck out and they were panicky because it was being really rainy that day. And they were like, God, we're so sorry when it rains, no one comes. And they, and it ended up blowing them away. Cause over 900 people came and waited an average of two and a half hours in the pouring rain to get on the truck. So they're quickly going and busting out PlayStation ponchos and handing them out to people in line. Oh,
0: that's good. Hell yeah. Oh God, Yes.
2: And, and all the kids that got to go to our game design camps, like got special VIP bracelets so they could go on and off the truck whenever they wanted. They didn't, wait in line and like sony treated them like vips and they all got a backpack with full of stuff and it was really cool and like it's there there's some people there that i really appreciate because not just because they did that for us but because that they're very community focused and doing really cool stuff like that mm-hmm. and definitely like that was spearheaded dur- I mean, there's still people there like that but that was spearheaded during sean layden's era and Sean Layden is just a very unique individual when it comes to gaming and understanding people and promoting people. So I'm excited to see that he's still in the industry doing stuff, even if he's not at PlayStation anymore. Yeah. He's one of the greats, man. Oh yeah.
0: Well, thank you for sharing your story with us. And I hope that inspires anybody else out there. Like,
2: Mm -hmm. like
0: you're never really at your lowest and I'm not saying that to be insensitive, but like once you get there, like, there's always something you can do if you have like the drive and the, the want and the need. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, Josh, your story is so incredible. I remember when Jackie first started working with you, she just graduated and, um, she told me she was working for a game company and she was super, super excited. She's and then so she, awesome. and Jackie, Jackie's a real one. And so like, and she's been like, even though she has a full time job, she's been like working because she like helped with the rigging of some of your characters. And yep. I remember I was just I hate rigging. So I was always giving kudos to her. But I just wanted to shout out Jackie really quick because she is the one who helped with this connection. So thanks, Jackie. Oh, yeah. And when you guys are
2: is. when you guys are throwing up stuff for your friends to tell her that, you know, she totally has my permission, that if she wants to show off the rigging of what she's doing on that character, feel free to show it. Because I know she's been she's been having nightmares with it. Because it's like a character that the it's like a demon character in our game, and his entire lower half is like a squiggly, bloody bit that kind of (laughs) looks like a snake. And she has been a real trooper in like doing a rig, testing it, not liking it, ripping off his entire lower half, doing it all over again. And she just sent me a message this morning saying, "I think I've got it."
0: Oh, nice! Yeah, I was like, "Oh, yeah, working on that tonight." Um. But, yeah, she said, like, the spine had been killing her, and she had to redo it, like, over and over again. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, big uh, shout-out to Jackie for establishing this connection. Josh, thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing your story with us. We're going to jump into some news. All right, mm-hmm. cool. Um, yeah, right. talking. Uh, nope, right, you guys hope, you're you going to stay. Hope- nope. All right. you're yeah, stay-
1: you're hanging with us. Yeah, we, with want, yeah we want there. your valuable newsy <laughs> opinion just as much as we want anything else. Oh, all right. Let's talk. I'm going to start pulling from Eurogamer, written by Tom Phillips. This is one of the uh, strangest stories. In a, in a little bit, um, reports claim that the voice actor that a voice actor leaked Resident Evil 4 remake concept art. Reports of the weekend claimed Resident Evil voice actor DC Douglas leaked concept art from Capcom's upcoming unannounced Resident Evil 4 remake. The artwork, the artwork which is claimed Douglas sent privately to fans via Twitter. After discussing his role during a Twitch live live stream, purportedly shows Resident Evil series Albert Wesker, the role Douglas played for many years. So basically what happens is we've had a slew of Resident Evil remakes over the last few years with Resident Evil well, you know, uh, 2 and 3. And Resident Evil 4 was obviously the one that was next in line, but it wasn't confirmed. The voice actor went ahead and shared a bunch of concept art and shit that he was not supposed to do and was talking about it on Twitch. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is because A, this is one of the strangest leaks that I think I've seen in, in, in a little bit that it's coming straight from the fucking voice actor being like, yeah, this is real. And here's what the character looks like. On top of the fact that I also want to call out this guy for being an absolute and fucking utter douchebag. There's a lot of stories now coming out about how he's been sexually harassing people. And now he's been fucking like abusive to many people for very many years. And so like, this this story for me is two parts a what the fuck are you doing sharing that concept art and b what the fuck are you doing still working in this industry it doesn't matter how long you've been voicing oh, this we fucking know.
0: i know still working in the industry because
1: he's fucking a white male that's why but yeah, yeah. i just i wanted to bring this up because it's such a fucking perplexing story um josh uh, let's uh, i want to start with you uh, are you big on resident evil 4 does like or
2: resident evil as a franchise I have a weird relationship with resident evil four. Cause like as a kid, I was obsessed with espe- a little bit of one, but especially two and three, like beat those so many times. And like, um, the one story I had is that I was too young to work a job back then, but a local mm-hmm. video store told me if I would come in every Saturday and quickly wash videotapes for them, you know, like wipe a rag on them, they would give mm-hmm. me b- books of free rentals. So I was like, sweet, hell yeah. You know, but, the guy there, the manager, who I still to this day have not forgiven, uh, told me that he had a memory card save file that if you beat Resident Evil Two the right way, you would unlock Ryu and Akuma from Street Fighter and could go shoot fireballs at zombies. <laughs> no way! <laughs> yeah, and so oh, he. Oh, for a thing. Yeah, and so I beat that game around two hundred times in different ways, <laughs> trying to figure out like timing myself with a little stopwatch. And then oh I, found, my God. And I found out as an adult that that was originally <laughs> created as an April Fool's prank by a game magazine. Oh, God. No. I, I was so mad. Well, I mean, did he
0: know? Did, or did he believe the lie, too? Uh, I just he, knew you were into games and gave it to you.
2: He, he knew that it was a lie, and he was just telling oh, me to okay. make himself look big. And I kept telling him, dude, we have PlayStations here. Bring in your memory card one of these days, and we'll copy the file over. And yeah. he, he would always go, Oh, I forgot, you know? And so I was like, oh. bastard. and so when I, as an adult, when I saw that, I was so angry. like, I wanted to track the dude down and just like scream at him, <laughs> but like, yeah, you, you're, you're, but yeah. Um, like in four, like I love what four brought to the table for gameplay, like, you know, the over the shoulder and the more tense, claustrophobic feeling, I felt mm-hmm. the story of the overall franchise kind of started going off the rails a tiny bit in four, like, like okay. I get cuz like the thing that bugged me is like you know I play, I just got done playing Resident Evil Code Veronica X at the time and you know at the end of Resident Evil Code Veronica X you know you have Claire and Chris and they're like yeah it's time to take down Umbrella you know giving you the idea that the next big game is going to be Umbrella's downfall put in Resident Evil 4 and it starts up 5 years after Umbrella fell and I'm like what <laughs> you know oh, like fuck yeah I, I was like I was explicitly promised <laughs> like and i I guess eventually they came out with a game on the wii that covered that time frame where umbrella fell like someone told me there's a game on the wii that does that but Mm -hmm. so story-wise i wasn't a fan but gameplay wise i loved it and i've been really jealous of watching people play it in vr because like if you see the vr footage of resident evil 4 from the oculus the goofy stuff yeah the goofy stuff that people can do in that i'm like that is just too cool i need to like you can like throw your knife in the air and do tricks with it and stuff like with the little Mm -hmm. hand remotes but um I will say it was weird to me when they initially announced that they were going to remake 4, because I'm like, you know, 4 doesn't feel all that bad. You know, it actually set the standard for what modern Resident Evil is, but I was shocked that they didn't do Code Veronica. But, um, yeah, like, in general on that yeah. thing, though, like, first of all, to, you know, breaking NDA is a no-no. And, like, I I mean, you know, like we said, he's kind of riding high on privilege there and all that, but, like, you know, the people get that attitude of, oh, I can get to choose when this breaks. It's like, you know, especially if you're an actor, you're one of the more forward faces of it because, you know, everyone associates you with that character. But Mm -hmm. it's not just you that's that character. There's also the modeling artist, the texture artist, the person like Jackie who rigged it, the animators, the programmers. All these people work together to bring this to life, and you're kind of telling them, flipping all of them the middle finger, saying, I'm going to make it all about me. And that's kind of not cool, especially when you know the game's going to come out anyways. It's one thing if you worked on a project, put your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and it got canceled. And years later, you're wanting to talk to fans about it. That I can mm-hmm. get. But if you're just sure. trying to jump the gun so that you get this attention front and center, that's kind of uncool.
1: Yeah, and that's that's kind of my one of my biggest things with that. And Dusty, that's kind of what I was going to ask you then, right? Because especially coming from an artist perspective and from, you know, you used to be in video game development, to have this, like, rancid jackass just turn around and be like look at all the shit that i'm sharing that i'm not supposed to be how would it feel coming from that perspective seeing like your work being thrown out there just because some dickhead wants to talk about it well
0: i feel like as long as i got paid (laughs) to do my part yeah you know um Mm -hmm. because i think as an artist when you're working for someone else's dream mm-hmm. which it it might hurt but it doesn't hurt as much as if like that were your personal thing right so like yeah. mm-hmm. do you know what i'm saying so i yeah. could see them being like man that's messed up like they went ahead and like showed that art but i got money in the bank time yeah. to work on the next project i true i don't know i can it see depends that depends on the person and how like, yeah and then i was thinking about him and i was like well why would he show it Unless maybe maybe he knew he was about to get ousted for being, like, this dickhead or whatever. So he was like, well, fuck you guys. Because obviously the people who are going to oust him are people who worked with him, you know. So mm-hmm. maybe he did it as, like, a revenge thing. Or maybe he's just really stupid, but I doubt it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, regardless of what it is, fuck DC Douglas. And, uh, yeah, let's move on. Uh, on to our next story, which is one that I'm very excited about. Coming from Eurogamer again from Wesley Yin Pool, DC Universe Online developers making a Marvel MMO. The developer of DC Universe Online is making a Marvel MMO. Dimensional Inc. Studios, the latest name for the Austin, Texas branch of Daybreak Game Company, is working on a quote-unquote Marvel IP-based massively multiplayer multiplayer online game, according to an investor presentation. So, D, I know you are a massive MMO fan, and, you know, you like Marvel fine. You like some of the old stuff more than you do the new. But, like, what would you want to see out of a Marvel MMO? What would you want to Uh... see out of a Marvel MMO?
0: When you were saying that, I was, like, thinking about that. Like, how would they, like, categorize, like, would they have, like, six different, like, types that you can play? Mm -hmm. Um, Where would your powers come from? Is it the same, like, level? I wondered about the gameplay. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: I wondered, like, is it going to include, like, people from the main cast, like, telling a story that way? I, I am intrigued because I do love MMOs. And I'm intrigued because I want to know what the overall story of this Marvel universe is going to be. Like, is it going to be like years and years later after like a big event? Is it even going to correlate with the same characters? Or is this going to be like a new world that just, well, not new world, but a new universe where like it's completely different. It doesn't have any of the main characters in most of the Marvel stories. I don't know. I'm excited because I love MMOs. I love playing with people.
1: I can't wait to play this with you because, like, if it's anything like DC Universe, you like you would like in DC Universe, you made your own character, and like all of the iconic characters would like existed in the world around you. Um, Josh, are you big on MMOs? Are you a big Marvel fan? Does this story do much for you? Are you excited? Um,
2: I love the MCU. Like, I, I kind of suck at MMOs. Like, um, our progr- <laughs> our programmers Raven and Gerardo are both heavy into Final Fantasy fourteen, and yes. so they keep trying. They keep trying to lure me in. Like, come on, Josh, you can ride Cloud's bike in it, and I'm like. Yeah, like okay. um, yeah, like I love like the beginning middle end of a normal RPG, like the build up and oh, so mm-hmm. this is the guy that stabbed your girlfriend in the back with a 9-foot katana. Okay, let's go kick the crap out of him like
1: right. You
2: know, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. So, but um yeah, so like Trevor, my brother is really the more the one that got into MMOs. Like he he got platinum in DC Universe Online on PS3. I don't think he ever did the ps4 version dang and like he had so many because when he was playing i don't think you had to pay to make additional characters or whatever so he had a bunch of different characters and like for instance like do you ever watch gabriel iglesias yeah no oh he's a comedian and he has a whole comedy bit that he did where he talked about how um he like a friend took him to a strip club or something. And I don't remember the whole bit, but basically he was shocked that people didn't recognize him. And he got into a back and forth with a really angry stripper who demanded Uh that demanded that he sign. Like she just knew he was a celebrity. She didn't know who he was. So he signed the autograph as George Lopez. And she told she told him that her name was Diamond Rodriguez, and my brother was giggling about that. So he went and made a superhero chick that fights with a staff named Diamond Rodriguez and was running around this online world. <laughs> and he's so he made like the stripper for justice or whatever.
1: Nice <laughs> the stripper for justice. Love it. I love
2: it. A joke that only us two got, everyone else was just confused as hell. <laughs> and like right.
0: Well now. We know and our listeners know. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. And I don't remember if he kept her or not. Cause, like, I mean, my God, like, it was on his PS3. So, and I think there was like a limit to how many characters you could make. And, like, there was like so many trophies that were involved. Like, you had like for every skill set or something or every job class, there was a certain yeah. set of trophies. And so he was dead set on getting that. But so I think he would be down for the Marvel one. And I can't remember if Trevor tried any of the Final Fantasies online. And I don't think he tried uh, Elder Scrolls. Mm-hmm. like uh, he like especially he's been to a lot of action stuff lately like you know how they recently had control for free on PSN he's been playing yep. that a lot nice I've, I've been watching it. it's interesting like it's fun like um, god I wish I could remember how, where it was but there's a moment where they she claims I can't remember if she actually goes to Montana or if she just references a place in Montana that doesn't actually exist and so we were both cracking up over that <laughs> oh yeah it was like um it was like crystal shores montana and like the poster card kind of looked tropical and we're like oh yeah that would totally the happen hell. you know as soon as idaho washington and california and oregon fell off in the ocean yeah that can totally be a thing yeah,
1: yeah why not yeah, exactly Just well make it- i'm, I'm ex- we'll have to get you back on the show in the future once this game's at, game comes out and here if uh what was her name diamond what rutabaga diamond rodriguez like diamond for, rodriguez for, did
0: for, you I, really did you really forget i remember that? started
2: with the r i remember oh starting with an God. r and that's all i had I, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tell trevor about that now though because he's gonna lose his mind over that.
1: that's what i'm saying i i hope that oh, well i mean everybody knows that like the marvel side and the dc side is just like a little bit different so i hope diamond rutabaga will be his marvel character uh and we'll have his to hear about her exploits
2: alternate universe yeah exactly yes. And I think that's why we fell in love with so much with stuff like Among Us, because where you can just have that goofy fun and you know you're messing with other players and that's okay because it's part of the game. But yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see more from this Marvel MMO whenever we see it for the first time. We're going to wrap with just one more last story because it's A, relevant, and B, I'm very excited. Uh, This is coming from Deadline, written by Anthony D'Alessandro. Spider-Man producer Amy Pascal teases new Sony Disney Tom Holland webslinger Trilogy. Spider-Man producer and former, so- and former Sony Pictures boss Amy Pascal says that a new MCU Spider-Man trilogy with Tom Holland is in the early works, one that keeps the Culver City lot and Disney's Marvel working together beyond their already contracted Spider-Man No Way Home, which is poised to be a massive Christmas blockbuster. I am so fucking happy. I love Tom Holland to Spider-Man. I literally drove to the theater today to pick up tickets for No Way Home because obviously... Like, Canada's Jesus. fucking stupid. Yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> dude. Listen, okay, so they went on sale on midnight last night. Today's Spider Monday. Happy Spider Monday, everybody. It we went on sale at midnight in the States. And, like, Canada, for whatever reason, was like, fuck y'all. We're not going to talk about when we're putting them up. And we're not going to... it. So a lot of people started, like, calling the theaters. And they were like, noon. They go live at noon. So today at noon, last night at midnight, the the main movie theater, Cineplex, their website already went down. And it wasn't <laughs> even on sale. So today I was like, fuck that. Am I fucking chancing it? So I drove to the theater. I shit you not, there were 30 people in line in front of me and another 20 behind me by the time that the line actually started moving. There was that many people lined up and the the, the app was broken for more than two hours afternoon. So I'm very fucking happy I went and got tickets. But when regardless, the
0: first, When is the uh, premiere?
2: like this Friday,
1: the 17th right? is the the 17th oh. is the official release date December 17th. But like they always do like the night before our screening. So the yeah. 16th is when it'll come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tom Holland. I love him as Spider-Man. I'm very excited for No Way Home. I really hope that in this next trilogy, we see him kind of come into his, his own about uh, as Spider-Man a little bit more and we get away from the Tony Stark stuff, which a lot of these movies have been kind of, you know, a little bit too focused on his relationship to Stark and how I, I'm, I'm excited to see him grow. I hope Holland sticks around because I love him a lot as, as Peter Parker and as Spider-Man. I'm very, very excited about this. Destiny, you're someone who's like not really been in the MCU lately. Does this news do anything for you are you excited about more spider-man where are you at with this
0: um i was talking to jackie about that today um i'm i'm excited but okay this is not a popular opinion i know some people are like we wish that like sony would just sell spider-man to disney but i don't because i think disney has enough
2: and <laughs> yeah. they can
0: pay out a little bit to borrow some other you know things that they need to make their movies pop Mm -hmm. so um i'm i'm excited that sony is still obviously this whole thing comes back around to sony must be still willing to work with disney to create these movies and that's a win-win for everybody so
1: yeah true well said josh what about you
2: like i hadn't actually seen that news yet so i'm actually pretty excited about that because like like you i like the tom holland stuff
0: surprise yeah like um
2: and especially, like, you know, with Sony, you know, involved with it, because, you know, Sony has their own unique angle of doing their projects. So you have stuff like Venom that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, looks like it's probably going to cross over with the MCU, too. And then also, you know, with how their animation house approaches stuff differently than Disney animation, which arguably resulted in, you know, Spider-Man. Um, God, the Miles Morales movie. I'm Into the Spider-Verse. Now. Into the Spider-Verse, yeah, where, like... I mean, I'm not trying to dig on Disney here because, you know, they do good animation too, but I loved the avant-garde choices that they made in that movie. that were like, you know, animating Mm -hmm. it more like a comic book. and
0: It was incredible. Yeah.
2: Fucking fantastic. And I don't know that I would ever pay Disney as doing something like that. Like, I think that they would try to over-smooth it, where the Mm -hmm. way they chose to do it actually paid respectful homage to the fact that it's coming from a comic book. Like, it actually celebrated the medium in a subtle way. and. Like that's still my like you know mind blowing to me. We watch that movie every once in a while still, and it's just like jaw dropping and the choices that they made. And I think that's what happens when you have multiple different studios and different groups that can make stories in a medium like that. That they don't have one overlord telling them these are the boxes you need to check. This is how it needs to look. They mm. have people that can kick the can a little bit and you know, or not kick the can, but kick the box over and say well, let's try something different. Let's try incorporating this 2D medium into our moving project. And it made something that was, you know, genre defining. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. And I love the whole long form storytelling they're doing. I'm still kind of not because I don't read the comics myself. I just have friends that do. So they fill me in, but like, Mm I'm still not entirely sure where they're going with this current phase of MCU. Cause you know, for a, quite a while during the last phase, you had friends going, Oh, it's Thanos. They're building up Thanos. So, okay. Uh, yeah. No, then this one, I'm still not sure. Like, I don't know who the main big bad is, you know, this, I'm having fun with it as it is right now, but it, eventually it would mm-hmm. be nice to know. And this is mom. Hi guys.
1: Hi Hello. mom.
2: How you doing? Good. Good how are you? Yeah. Cigarettes. All right. I will be done in here in a few minutes if you guys want. You want want to go? Sure. All right. See ya. Bye. And this is is Trev. Trev, what's going
0: on, dude? Nice to meet you. Tell him about
2: Diamond Rutabaga. (laughs) Oh yeah. So um, Trev, remember in um, DC Universe Online where you made Diamond Rodriguez? Yeah. I told him that story and he forgot the name of the character. He's like, so what was your brother's character again, Diamond Rutabaga? And so they're saying now that you you have to make a character named Diamond Rutabaga someday. gosh. I haven't played that game pretty much since it launched. I platted it and dropped it. Yeah, so it's <laughs> okay.
1: The Marvel Marvel MMO.
2: The yeah. Marvel MMO. Yeah, the team that did it is making a Marvel MMO now. Oh shit! Yeah, so. <laughs> good reaction. All right, so I'll be I'll be with you guys in a few minutes. All right, see you guys. Have a good night. You too. See take you. care, man. But yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> well. But yeah, so go I'm, ahead. I'm then excited. Then. Like I I think it. I think it's good, but like, you know, like I said, the big thing is, and I think this kind of ties into what Destiny said, is that you don't want one monopoly controlling everything because mm-hmm. you, you lose creativity at that point. Because, I mean, even then, like, you know, Disney has a really cool style, but all their stuff is in a lot of ways in their style. You can tell something is Disney fairly early on when you're watching it, and mm-hmm. you, you don't want just that one style all the time. You want different people to come in and be able to do their thing
1: well said yeah i agree i mean birth into the spider-verse which is one of if not the best spider-man movies anyway so yes. yeah i mean i'm all for them being weirder with it i'm just happy that tom holland is sticking around and we're gonna get more of him and you know we'll, i hope they get a little bit weirder with it on sony's side too because i actually liked venom and venom 2 i'm actually yeah. kind of excited for Morbius. so be weird do more shit but that brings us to the end of the show i'm gonna pass it back over to destiny
0: oh okay catch the ball so... catch the ball
1: oh, catch God. the ball
0: I don't like catching the ball because you the never ball. put. I caught it. Catch the you ball. You never, you never put Catch me in the, the, the right. You never put me in the right space, and then I just look like an idiot with my Catch arms this ball waving too. around. No, <laughs> that was pretty good. But anyways, thank you so much, Josh. That was, that was an incredible surprise. Your brother and mom popping in. At yeah, there. right. That was awesome. I'm not gonna lie because the camera, at the feed. Through is kind of blurry. I thought she was sneaking up behind you to hit you in the back of the head, and I didn't know no because her arm was up with her keys, and she yeah. quietly came. Josh in. about to get smacked. <laughs> yeah, no. When I... You when you watch this later on YouTube, look at my face. You could tell I'm very confused and concerned at the same time, and I don't know what to do.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
2: And, like, really quickly before we go, like, I mm-hmm. just wanted to double check. You guys wanted me to send you the video of, like, uh, the, like, roller coaster I did in Little Big Planet. Yes, Yeah, please. yeah, yeah, Yes, yeah. yes, please. Send As us well,
0: anything you want us to showcase, homie. Yeah. We got right, and, you.
2: And I'll send you the pitch video for Shared Soul. Too. Keep in mind, it's rough and early, but, and then also mm-hmm. a video of Burst, and, like, we're...
0: Yeah, no! I yeah, want to see it.
2: Yeah, we're going for but some stuff. before stu- you... Oh, I'm sorry,
0: sorry. I'm, I'm going to cut you just really quick. Before yeah, yeah. you go, just drop, I know you have so many, drop your website and your Twitter again for us. And we are definitely, guys, we are going to have all the information down below, but just mm-hmm. so you can hear it one more time. What was that, Twitter? Twitter.com. And Twitter. What
2: was
1: yours?
2: Yeah, yeah, what? sorry. <laughs> uh, Twitter.com slash Zuki, T-K-Z-O-O-K-E-Y-T-K. That's also my Instagram and my TikTok handle. And then for our website, it's Team Kaizen. And Kaizen is spelled K as in King, A as in Apple, I as in Indigo, Z as in Zebra, E as in Elephant, N as in Nancy. Games, game com, And then Attitudes, A-D-D-A-T-U-D-E-Z is our Twitch handle. And that's like our main company, like Team Kaizen and Ingenium are studios under Attitudes. And yeah, like we would love to, you know, you know, hang out with you all online. Um, one thing I might be asking the community's help for on soonish is I, we did just pitch burst to a project that like a competition that's going on where mm. we'll, we'll find out if we're officially accepted in March. And if we are, we will need people to vote for us that we could get funding for the game.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah. Please, please come back on and talk to us about it.
0: Then yeah. and we'll make sure we'll get, we'll get we'll people kind of, and, do a highlight yeah, for it. Exactly.
2: yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, guys.
0: Thanks, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Don't keep your mom and your brother waiting. Yeah. Um, we just well, we need your computer to stay on for just a second because we have to like upload stuff. But that mm. is going to be it from us. Josh, can you say bye?
2: Bye. Thank you so much for having me, guys.
0: Matt, can you say bye?
2: See you later, alligator.
0: Guys, see you later. Bye. Guys, did you see how excited I
1: was? You saw that? So excited. excited I I was pretty excited. I felt it. Did you feel it? I'm Matt, by the way.